0: believing the facts about Jesus with your heart means that you will be compelled to confess him as Lord. The two go together.
1: Welcome to The Word Unleashed with Tom Pennington. Tom is pastor teacher at Countryside Bible Church in Southlake, Texas. What are the two aspects of true saving faith? Hello there, I'm Bill Wright. Today we continue the series Human Responsibility. As Paul describes in Romans 10, the two aspects of saving faith are that you must believe in your heart that God raised Jesus Christ from the dead, and you must confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. These twin truths go hand in hand. If you truly believe in the person and work of Jesus Christ, then you will respond in humility and obedience to Him. If you're a follower of Christ, rest assured and take comfort. If you've made that confession and have experienced the spiritual rescue that comes only by the person and work of Jesus Christ. Let's join Tom as he opens God's Word here on The Word Unleashed.
0: In verse 9, he, he lists them in the order he does, confessing and believing, because he's playing off the quote from Moses, in your mouth and in your heart. So he puts it in that order. But when he, in verse 10, he comes to the logical order, he reverses them, because you can only confess with your mouth what you already believe in your heart. So let's start with that logical order. The first aspect of saving faith, the only way to receive a right standing before God, is number one, to believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead. Verse 9. He says, here's the message of faith that I'm preaching. If you, and let's skip the first phrase for a moment, if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Now clearly, Paul is talking about faith. If you believe In the New Testament, the Greek words translated faith, and the verb form of that, believe, they are identical, from the same identical uh, root. These two words, the the noun form and the verb form, each occur about 240 times in the New Testament. Now here, notice in verse 9, Paul says, you must believe that This tells us that true saving faith has content. The intelligent comprehension of truth is essential to faith. We can only believe what we know. This is what theologians call as they take faith and sort of parse it, they call notitia, that is, knowledge. There has to be, for it to be real faith, there has to be knowledge of the truth. Notice the fact that we must believe, verse nine. If you believe in your heart that, here it is, God raised him from the dead. That points to the centrality of the resurrection in the Christian message. Now, don't misunderstand what Paul is saying. The resurrection isn't all the gospel message. If I had time, I'd take you to 1 Corinthians 15 where, where Paul says, here's the gospel, it's that Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures, he was buried, He rose again the third day according to the Scripture, and he appeared to many witnesses. That's the gospel. So it's all of that. But here, Paul singles out the resurrection as the fact that must be believed in order to be saved. And this is understandable when you look at how he's already documented the importance of the resurrection in this letter. You go back to chapter 1, verse 4, and there he says the resurrection declared Jesus to be the Son of God with power. That is, it proved his claims to be deity. In chapter 4, verses 24 and 25, he says he was raised for our justification. He, in his resurrection, secured our justification. Chapter 6, verses 4 and 5, it's in his resurrection that we are raised to new life at the moment of our salvation. So, his resurrection guaranteed our regeneration, our new spiritual life. In chapter 8, verse 11, Paul says that Jesus' resurrection guarantees our own future physical resurrection. And in chapter 8, verse 34, it's because he's been raised that we will never be found guilty. So the resurrection then is a crucial part of the message of Christ. Why? Because it proved his claims to be deity were true. It validated all of his teaching. John 2, right? You want to know what? by what authority I do and teach these things? It's by my resurrection. Destroy this body and in three days I'll raise it up again. It proved... In addition, the resurrection did that God had fully accepted Jesus' death in the place of the believing sinner. So then understand, when Paul says we must believe in the resurrection, that is simply shorthand. It is shorthand for Jesus' claims to be the Son of God, the Son of Man, the Messiah, and his work, his saving work on the cross, his death as a substitute for sinners, his burial, his resurrection. You must believe his claims and his saving work. But notice Paul adds, you must believe these things in your heart. We could say, with your entire being, with your mind, your emotions, your will. This is the second part of how theologians parse faith. This is what they call, with the Latin word, assensus, that is, an assent to the truth. Not only is there a knowledge of the truth required for there to be genuine faith, but there has to be an agreement with it, an assent to it. You have to believe these things not just as a a fact, but in your heart, with your whole being. But simply believing the facts about Jesus and really believing them to be true is not enough. Why is that not enough? We know that's not saving faith, because even the demons believe that much. So to make sure that we understand salvation involves more than believing certain facts, and even believing them to be true, Paul adds a second aspect of true saving faith. Back in Romans chapter 10 verse 9, we must not only believe with with our hearts that God raised Jesus from the dead, but secondly, we must confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord. You must confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord. Notice again verse 9. Here's the message of faith, he says. If you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and, don't miss that word, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Now, confess, the Greek word confess literally means to say the same thing. Here, it is to say the same thing God says about Jesus. In this context, it means to declare openly or to acknowledge publicly, notice how he says it, that Jesus is Lord. This was the earliest, simplest creed of the Christian church. In fact, In in the first century, in order to be baptized, this was the affirmation you had to make. Before they would baptize you, you had to say in the waters of baptism, Jesus is Lord, Jesus is kurios. Now what does it mean to confess, to confess Jesus is Lord? It's not merely saying the words. Anybody can say the words. In fact, there are a number of places in the scripture where we're told saying the words isn't enough. For example, in Luke chapter 6, verse 46, Jesus himself says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? There are a whole lot of people sitting in churches across America this morning who call Jesus Lord, but the reality isn't true. And Jesus says, Why do you even bother? Why do you call me Lord and not do what I say? That's nonsensical, that's ridiculous. And in fact, Jesus fast-forwards in Matthew 7, verse 22, to the final judgment. This is Jesus telling us what's going to happen at the last judgment. He says, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, and then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Again, he's saying, don't call me Lord, and then continue to live happily in your sin. 1 Corinthians 12, 3, Paul says, no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Clearly, he doesn't mean no one can say the words. He's saying no one can say it from the heart as their true confession except through the work of the Holy Spirit. So this confession, then, must be a true reflection of the heart based on what you have come to believe about Jesus Christ, about His person, His claims, and His saving work. Now, what exactly is the content of this heartfelt confession? Verse 9 says, Jesus is Lord. What does that mean? What does it mean to confess that Jesus is Lord? In the rest of the New Testament, we learn that it means two things. Number one, it means to confess that Jesus is God, to confess that Jesus is in fact the one true and living God kurios, the Greek word for Lord, is used more than 6,000 times in the Septuagint, in the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament. And it's used those 6,000 plus times in place of God's personal name, Yahweh. So to confess Jesus as Lord is to say I believe with all of my heart that Jesus shares the names and the attributes and the, the nature of the one true and living God you must confess that Jesus is God and nothing less that's part of what it means to confess Jesus is Lord but there's a second part and it is to confess not only that Jesus is God that Jesus is master. Turn with me to John chapter 13 because in John 13, Jesus defines what he means when his disciples call him Lord or kurios. John 13 verse 13, you remember the context, it's the upper room. Jesus has just washed the disciples' feet, and he says in in fact, let's start in verse 12. So when he had washed their feet and taken his garments and reclined at the table again, he said to them, do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher, didaskalos, and Lord, here it is, you call me kurios. And you were right, for so I am. If I then, the kurios and the didaskalos, the teacher, washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. That is, you ought to serve one another in a menial way, just as I've done, for I gave you an example that you should do as I did to you. Now watch verse 16. Here he defines kurios. Truly, truly, I say to you, a slave, a doulos, is not greater than his kurios, his lord, his master nor is the one who is sent greater than the one who sent him. In other words, Jesus defines what it means for us to call him Lord, and it means acknowledging his right to rule you. It's saying, when you say Jesus is Lord, you're saying He is my rightful master, and I am His slave. I belong to Him. He alone deserves and receives my allegiance, my trust, my confidence, my obedience. This is, by the way, the third element that theologians give us with imparting faith, fiducia, trust in which you entrust yourself wholly and completely to Jesus Christ. He is my kurios. It includes repenting from sin because it means completely renouncing and rejecting your former master. And it includes trusting in Christ alone for salvation and submitting your will to His. By the way, Philippians 2 tells us that eventually every intelligent being in the universe will acknowledge this at some level that Jesus is Lord. D.A. Carson writes of that passage, and I love this quote, and I want you to think of yourself as I read this. Every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord, but it does not follow that every tongue will confess Jesus Christ is Lord out of happy submission. The text promises that Jesus has the last word, that he is utterly vindicated, that in the end no opposition against him will stand. There will not be universal salvation. There will be universal confession as to who he is. That means that either we repent and confess him by faith as Lord now, or we will confess him in shame and terror on the last day but confess him we will." End quote. So the two aspects of the faith that truly saves, that gives you that righteousness based on faith, that gift of God's righteousness, that's really the righteousness of Jesus Christ earned by his perfect life, if you want that, if you want a right standing before God, then you must come in faith alone, And that means you must believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead and all that he claimed and all that he accomplished in his saving work is all that it claims to be. And two, because you believe that about him, you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord. But these are not really two separate actions. Notice in verse 9, confessing and believing produce salvation. Notice verse 10, for with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness. So here, believing results not in salvation but in a right standing before God. Verse 10 goes on to say, with the mouth he confesses, and that confession results in salvation. So here, confessing results in salvation. Do You see how he blends it all together? So these two aspects of faith produce the same thing, spiritual rescue and a right standing before God. They're really just two sides of the same coin. Truly believing the facts about Jesus with your heart means that you will confess him as Lord. Let me say that again. Truly believing the facts about Jesus with your heart means that you will be compelled to confess him as Lord. The two go together. Now let me show you what this looks like. On the Sunday night of the resurrection, you remember Jesus appeared to 10 of his disciples. Judas is dead at this point, having hanged himself. And when he appears in the locked upper room on that that Sunday night of the resurrection, Thomas wasn't there. So only 10 were present. Fast forward eight days later, the following Sunday night, Jesus appeared to the disciples again this time Thomas was present and I want you to see what happens look at John chapter 20 verse 26 after eight days his disciples were again inside that is inside this locked upper room and Thomas with them Jesus came the doors having been shut and stood in their midst and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, so now he's, he's going to take Thomas specifically on, who, who had doubted whether the others had really seen what they had seen. He said to Thomas, Reach here with your finger and see my hands, and reach here with your hand and put it into my side, and do not be unbelieving but believing. Now notice what faith looks like. Verse 28, Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord, my kurios, and my God. My master, clearly he means something different here than God. My master and my God, both are true. And verse 29, Jesus said to him, because you have seen me, have you believed? Blessed are they who did not see. That's us, by the way. We didn't get the chance Thomas got, but we have not seen and believed. You see, what you have here with Thomas is an ultra-high-definition picture of what it means to confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. This is saving faith. Now, if you're here this morning, let me talk to you if you have trusted in Christ. If you have believed the facts of the gospel, that Jesus is both the Son of God and fully man, that he was the Messiah promised in the Old Testament, that he lived a perfect life of obedience to God, perfect righteousness, that he died because of sin, that is, his death had to do with the breach of God's law, not his, but yours that he died literally as your substitute, that God credited to Jesus on the cross every sin you have ever or will ever commit, and for those dark hours he treated Jesus like you deserve to be treated for committing those sins. That he was buried, that God truly raised him from the dead, and you have assented to the truthfulness of those facts. And if you have confessed him, to be your God and your master. If you've said with Thomas, my Lord and my God, then I have really good news for you. Verse 9 puts it very clearly. You will be saved. He's talking eschatologically. He's talking about what happens when you stand before God. Not only are you saved today, but you will be saved in that great day of the judgment you don't have to worry about being condemned you will be saved And verse 10 your faith has already resulted in a right standing before God and your confession has resulted in your salvation and your spiritual rescue and his resurrection has secured your justification your new spiritual life your physical resurrection in the future, and a guarantee from God that you will never be condemned. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If he's your representative and he did all of that in your place, condemnation will never come to you. No guilty verdict, no punishment. But if you're here this morning and you've never express these dual aspects of saving faith, you have never truly believed in your heart the claims and the saving work of Jesus Christ. And you have, even if you have somehow a senator believed to those things, you have never confessed Jesus to be your God and your master. Then I have good news for you as well. It's in the promises of the next few verses in Romans. Go back to Romans chapter 10, verse 11. Here's the promise to you. Even today, if you will believe and confess, the scripture says, verse 11, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. You'll never be put to shame in this life or when you stand before God. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call on him, verse 13, for whoever will The idea is humble himself, recognize his need, and call upon the name of the Lord to save him, to rescue him, will be saved. That's God's promise to you. You see, being right with God doesn't require you to do something Herculean. It requires your mouth and your heart. It requires in your heart to believe these things to be true, to assent to their truthfulness, to embrace them fully. And then it means to confess Jesus as your God and your Master. And if you will do that, then this righteousness becomes yours in a moment. My prayer is that would be true even today. Let's pray together.
1: That's Tom Pennington here on The Word Unleashed with Part 8 of his series, Human Responsibility, Tom will have part nine for you on our next program, and we hope you'll join us then. But Tom, before we end our time today, would you share a closing thought with us?
0: You know, Bill, Romans 10 is really a call to repent of our sins and to believe in Jesus Christ. Friend, if you've not done that today, like the Apostle Paul, I urge you to believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead that he is everything he said he is, and that he has accomplished everything that he's accomplished, and to confess with your mouth that Jesus the Messiah is Lord. And the scripture says you'll not be disappointed, you'll not be put to shame. For those of us who are already in Christ, this passage really serves as a, a wonderful reminder, an encouragement, that we have been saved, rescued from the final day of judgment. And it it gives us confidence as we wait for the return of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ.
1: Thanks, Tom. And friend, it's our prayer that you'll be enriched by the expository teaching of God's Word here on The Word Unleashed. We'd love to hear your story and how God is enriching you in your walk with Christ through this ministry. Write to us, won't you? Our address is listeners at org. Again, that's listeners at thewordunleashed.org. Or you can call us at 1-877-577-WORD. And remember to connect with us on social at The Word Unleashed. We also invite you to visit thewordunleashed.org, where you'll find other resources, including additional series from The Word Unleashed. That's thewordunleashed.org.